You're listening to the Liberty News Radio Network, and this is the Political Cesspool. The Political Cesspool, known across the South and worldwide as the South's foremost populist conservative radio program, and here to guide you through the murky waters of the Political Cesspool is your host, James Edwards. Ladies and gentlemen, we are doing what we do here at TPC this uh, last week of July, 2023. Hottest July on record. For us, how does this show? For us, <laughs> in the studio or outside the studio? What do you think? Both. <laughs> it is uh, the 29th day of July. As we broadcast live to you tonight. Wonderful show so far. We've been blitzing through the news and headlines that have, uh, have been of interest to us this week, but also. Doing catch- the work that American uh, mainline journalists refuse to do. Catching up with uh, an old friend in Warren Baylog, but also uh, a first-time guest, Carson Kilgray, and another one now here with us in the third hour. C.J. Miller is a writer and translator from Alberta, Canada. He has been published uh, by many of our cause's most influential how cold does it get up there in Alberta? <laughs> it's probably not that cold right now, I can tell you that. But he has been published by some of our most influential and uh, mainstay publications, uh, including Antelope Hill. We'll talk more about some of his translations for Antelope Hill uh, over the course of the hour. The Occidental Observer, Kevin McDonald's uh, website and easing, as well as countercurrents.com and elsewhere. Greg uh, Johnson at Countercurrents, all friends of ours. CJ, how are things in the great white north tonight? Well, things are looking up. It's a nice sunny day. And uh, to answer the previous question, it gets down to reliably gets down to minus 40 every year, which, uh, of course, we use Celsius, but that actually happens to be roughly the same as minus 40 Fahrenheit, if you can imagine that. Yeah, there well, you, go. you know, my fa- I was born in Minnesota. My father. You keep saying that. I don't want people to get the wrong idea about you. You're a well, Southerner. He, you just happened to be deposited yeah, while your dad was my, on assignment yeah. in, in Minnesota. Well, well, my father was looking for a job after World War II. He's in Panton's Army, and he had some Army buddies from Minnesota that got him into an electrician. You're dating yourself uh, to, to make yeah, mention I, of the fact. Well, look, I, everybody knows I'm an old gobbler. But anyway. Uh, <laughs> My, he said that one day after stringing telephone wire in 30-mile-an-hour winds at 30 below zero, he decided it was time to look for a warmer climate, so he went back to Memphis. Well, he found it because it's been hotter than hell and humid, and it's been miserable. We can't complain enough about What's the temperature up there now? Keith is really interested in that question. We gotta, you got to answer it, CJ. Right now, I think it's probably about 25, so in Fahrenheit, that might be like high 70s. Perfect temperature. Oh, my God. Oh, that's a fall uh, yeah, day. I tell you what, I remember going up to the Gaspé Peninsula for a, uh, uh, uh August vacation one time, you know, going to Per Se and places like that. And I thought it was paradise up there at that time. Yeah, you know, I think I prefer the cold to the heat because in the cold, you can always put on another layer or start a fire, whatever you need to I do. I say that. But you see, on the other started. hand, as a Southerner, I think that uh, – 
Heat is uncomfortable, but cold is life-threatening. No, I don't agree with that. I agree with CJ. I have always said that. You can always layer up enough to uh, withstand the cold. You cannot take yeah, enough yeah, off yeah. Uh, to... to uh, Try uh, that at 40 below zero. You cannot take enough <laughs> off to uh, mitigate the heat. We are Northern European people. This is our our climate. Is that Arctic climate? It is not the sub-Saharan tropical climate. I don't think you last one winter up there, James. I guarantee you I could get warm enough. I could build fires. I could layer up. I, I What I can't stand of these merciless, merciless southern. Now, we've been in the south now for hundreds, you know, a couple of hundred years, minimum three, four hundred years if you came over uh, with the founding stock. But uh, we were in Europe a lot longer than that. This is not our native climate. I can I, CJ's a little closer to our native climate than we are. But hey, CJ, I got to say this. Normally, when we want news from Canada, we call up Paul Fromm, maybe Remy Tremblay, uh, and uh, we see what's going on up there. But I actually have in my hand now a handwritten letter from a listener in British Columbia. So if you don't mind, and if you can weigh in on this, I know you're from Alberta, so uh, my uh, I, yeah, my my uh, eyes uh, got a little widened when I saw that because I'd been meaning to talk about this with a Canadian, and we were going to book Paul just for this, but we'll ask you. A listener from British Columbia uh, wrote in and uh, said this, and then we'll get into <laughs> your work and some more about you and your background. But uh, he writes, recently a conservative premier was elected in Alberta by a majority. I don't know if you have heard of Danielle Smith, but uh, you can always ask Paul Fromm. Well, we're not going to ask Paul Fromm. We're going to ask you tonight, C.J. Miller. Um, anything to be said about uh, the new premier in Alberta? We're hearing good things. Is it uh, much to do about nothing, or is it the real deal? Well, she's uh, she's okay, I would say. It's, it's sort of a mixed bag, like it always is with elected officials. I mean, if you count on party politics to solve all your problems, you're always going to be disappointed. But uh, she kind of uh, is a bit of a Alberta sovereignist, not a separatist. Uh, Alberta not going to separatist. Is she Alberta's so, answer to George good. Maloney, or what is the deal? Um, maybe... Well, she's a provincial leader, and they don't set the immigration quotas that's uh, done at the federal level. So, I mean, the the only thing I really know about Georgia Maloney is sort of her immigration rhetoric. Um, there's not really any of that from Daniel Smith. That's on things like gun rights, on um, taxation for middle-class families, and on actually um, basically giving Alberta officials uh, license and sovereignty to enforce their own set of rules and keep federal law enforcement away to some extent. Um, she's been pretty good on that stuff. So she, like, I mean, I don't personally hold out too much hope for uh, our governments to be able to help us a whole lot. So that government is Alberta sounds them. like they're like Greta Garbo. They just want to be left alone. By well, the rest I, of Canada. I, no, I agree with what CJ is saying, but as far as it goes, as far as currently sitting elected officials go, I guess you could do worth the Danielle Smith. And I want to give a big she, shout could out. Be Justin Trudeau. You see it right. Well, actually you see it right here. Front and back page, handwritten note from our friend and supporter, Ed in British Columbia. Ed listens to every show live in part. And then, uh, if he's out for social engagement, he listens to the rest of it on Sunday morning in his study. And uh, he writes what uh, CJ was just saying, that uh, Danielle Smith is pro-energy, pro-gun, has warned Justin Trudeau to back off. She has promised that Alberta cities would not end up like uh, Vancouver, Portland, and San Francisco, uh, and so on and so forth. So, uh, you know, I guess 
better than the alternative, right, as far as it goes in the, the Maybe Western. Maybe as good as it gets in Canada. Well, as good as it goes across the West right now. Yeah, and there's a similar guy uh, in the province next door, Scott Moe in Saskatchewan. He's kind of in the same vein. All right. So, I mean, that's, uh, I guess, something. It sounds like Western uh, Western Canada is kind of like the southern United States. It's a repository for common sense. Maybe. An it, otherwise it, crazy nation. Is it better than uh, Quebec and some of the Toronto? Ontario. Yeah, some of the places over on the east. Is it is it like that? Um, it depends on your perspective. Definitely the cost of living is quite a bit lower in Alberta, although that is changing as uh, immigration feels demand for housing, as well as people from other provinces moving to Alberta for the plentiful jobs and the low cost of living. So that also drives demand in a hot housing market and pushes the prices the big up. big petroleum industry <laughs> there in Alberta? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I worked on the regular uh, for a bit, too. Uh, yeah, that's what brings a lot of people here, ultimately, is the money from the oil patch and from adjacent industries. Yeah, well, we will like, do it every time. We like Alberta. Our most frequent and most generous international donor is actually from Alberta. You know who you are. And to Ed, who sent in this letter, about you. we keep the show going just to receive Ed's letter. Stay tuned, the everybody. The Cause of Free South is a collection of 12 essays written by Southern National Talk. The book explores topics such as what is the Southern nation, what is Southern nationalism, and how can we achieve a free and independent Dixie. The Honorable Cause answers questions on our own terms. The book invites readers to understand for themselves why a free and independent Dixie is both preferable and possible. The book pulls in some of the biggest producers of pro-South content, including James Edwards, the host and creator of The Political Cesspool, and Wilson Smith, author of Charlottesville Untold, Arkansas congressional candidate and activist Neil Kumar, host and creator of the Dissident Mama podcast, Rebecca Dillingham, author of A Walk in the Park, My Charlottesville Story, Identity Dixie's Patrick Martin, and yours truly, Michael Hill, founder and president of the League of the South, as well as several other authors. The Honorable Cause is available now at Amazon.com. In Message 1, we said that Satan, the father of lies, John 8.44, gave the left evil, spiritual power, the more they used the lies. The political left today is the beast. Now the Bible confirms that the dragon gave him, the beast, his power. Revelation 13.2 The extra evil spiritual power that comes from the beast by their lying is what accounts for the string of the leftist criminals in the government that have never yet been prosecuted. It also explains why American capitalists support communism in the 21st century. Note 1. That behavior of capitalists was predicted by Vladimir Lenin, a cell of the beast. Note 2. Henry Ford was a capitalist, and he would have never gone communist. The difference between Ford and the present day end time capitalists is that Ford was born and educated in the Kingdom of Christ, 19th century America, the New Jerusalem, Revelation 21. All right, uh, we chased a rabbit there in the first segment with uh, C.J. Miller, but thankfully we have the rest of the hour to go. Not that that was wasted, but that's not what he was brought on to talk about tonight. But I did want to ask that question about uh, Alberta, and he answered it. So, again, with us right now, C.J. Miller, a writer and translator 
uh, from Canada, been published by some of our movement's most prominent and influential publications, Antelope Hill, uh, The Occidental Observer, Countercurrents, among others. CJ, give us a little more information about your background. How did you first come into this cause? What was your... Uh, animating uh, incident or uh, uh, aha moment. The gateway or whatever, and then how did it lead from there to here? I think uh, there probably isn't one particular moment. Looking back, there's an accumulation of things that kind of made me question a lot of the assumptions of liberalism. Like I can think of dozens of instances where they, I guess little seeds were planted, but uh, I'd say by 2013, 13, definitely, I considered myself uh, pro-white and anti-liberal some capacity, so about 10 years ago, I suppose. And then, um, yeah, as far as uh, writing goes and wanting to get involved, it almost happened by accident because uh, some people, like an amateur group of guys, uh, I guess one of them had found a copy of his uh, grandfather's Wehrmacht fitness manual and they were trying to tr do a translation of it which uh, later ended up being published by Antelope Hill and uh, not they didn't really speak German most of them so they were kind of doing it uh, amateurs it was dragging along taking forever and, and I looked at the project and thought it's worth preserving just for historical reasons so I kind of came in and helped them get it all finished get it all put together and then uh, some other guys with contacts uh, in the fledgling publishing industry um, basically put it out as a book and then after that they contacted me for uh, several other translations so that was kind of my foot in the door well bravo to you I'm yeah absolutely i mean that is impressive to me uh, on a way that uh, most people are unable to do because as americans we typically speak one and only language and that's english and i've spent a very minimal amount of time in germany yeah, trouble enough with that <laughs> yeah that's right exactly uh, I actually have a German friend who I always say she speaks better German, uh, better English than I do. Uh, but uh, you go to Europe, you go to Germany; they're all bilingual, and, and it's it, it's an incredible thing, and, and uh, it's it's fascinating. Yeah, you come to New York, and they're all bisexual. To go to Europe and hear all of the different languages that individuals can speak. So obviously, CJ, in order to translate a text from German to English, you have to be able to speak German. You're Canadian. How did that happen? I started learning in high school in grade 10. Uh, the course just happened to be offered, and uh, I kind of had discovered a passion for uh, language, and especially the written word, in junior high school. That's uh, what we call middle school up here, eh? And I, so <laughs> I discovered a passion by learning French, and so I signed up for the German class, and the teacher there was extremely passionate. He was Mr. Gung-Ho. Uh, so he kind of sparked an interest in learning the language. So I learned that all the way through high school couple of years in university. Um, I did a summer semester over in uh, Munich. Uh, and uh, my wife and I recently had our honeymoon over in Europe as well with some significant time in Germany. Did you go to Germany? Yeah, yeah, we spent a lot of time there. Well, see, I mean, that's it's one thing to be able to speak the language or to even become fluent in it, but to become so fluent that as a non-native speaker, you're able to translate from one language to the other to be uh, for published text uh, from a, a sure enough uh, publishing uh, company like Antelope Hill. Uh, that I mean, that that's a next level type of operation that you're running there, CJ. 
Yeah, well, uh, I, I studied translation uh, bits in uh, university um, before I ended up having to drop out. Um, but uh, my major was in, what was it? I think my major was in translation studies and my minor was, oh no, sorry, my major was linguistics. My minor was translation studies. And I was getting, uh, you know, all these courses in German as well. So that, that helped with that. And then also you just have to be able to kind of think on your feet as a translator and do your best to render things in a way that they don't sound like they were obviously translated. Uh, you just want people to be able to read it and understand it easily for it to sound kind of smooth. Sounds nice. like you had a good education, CJ. And uh, I remember, I'm, I'm a little long in the tooth, longer than either of you guys, but I remember when public school teachers did not go to colleges of education, if you had a Spanish or a German teacher, that's somebody that had majored in that in college, and they brought this passion, like you're describing, for their subject, which they were able to impart to their students. I think uh, at least down here, some often now you get these people from colleges of education, and they're like the bottom of the barrel intellectually in colleges. And it, uh, that's not the way it was, and apparently that's not the way it was in your schooling. And I I'm, think you're, you need to realize how lucky you are to have had that experience. That's for sure. And on the subject of good teachers, I, I did um, AP European history in high school. And the teacher there also kind of inspired a passion for history. And I'd say that course, the European history, was kind of a, a turning point in my political awakening. Now, the teacher himself was uh, obviously not you know, a, a white nationalist. He was probably a liberal of the old school uh, guy in his 60s with a master's degree, but uh, he was just so knowledgeable and so passionate about the subject matter that uh, he kind of awakened, he kind of lit that fire within me. And I would end up going to the library and checking out other textbooks, uh, like history textbooks, and diving into the subject matter. So I was kind of looking into the founding of the uh, United States, the founding of Canada, Spanish Civil War, every different subject you can imagine. So, uh, yeah, good teachers, the, over, uh, the importance of good teachers can't be overstated, and unfortunately, we've had some. Well, you took to education like a duck to water, obviously, and it's paid off for you. Yeah, yeah I suppose so. <laughs> and here he is now. So uh, let's talk then. There's so much I want to talk to you about now that we've gotten a little bit more about your background and your education and what led you from uh, the – origins to hear and these translations which i just again i can't overemphasize how fascinated i am by someone who can learn a non-native tongue uh, to the extent where they can uh, uh, offer these translations to be published by an outfit like antelope hill uh, antelopehillpublishing.com a lot of friends of ours there and we have made them uh featured parts of our programming over the course of this year at least once a month we have been featuring antelope hill contributors and uh, authors and writers and, and with cj both an author and a translator uh, but there is a wide variety of topics and conversations and books for uh, purchased there at antelope uh, hillpublishing.com I, I i've told the story before with taylor young and some of the other uh, contributors to antelope hill who have been on i i have a copy of thrilling adventures uh, among the early settlers that i read with my son it's just a, a a collection of stories from the pioneer and these frontier days that are, are so good for young boys to hear and know about uh, you've got other books that are geared for uh younger readers what kind of man will i be uh, also very serious topics like uh, Trey Garrison, uh, who we were mentioning in the last hour with Warren Balog, uh, his book, Opioids for the Masses, how uh, the 
opioid epidemic has so afflicted our people, particularly uh, poor white people in uh, the uh, Appalachia and other regions yeah, of this country. Areas. Yeah, rural areas. Raw egg nationalism. There's stuff there for people, uh, content there, books for purchase. Uh, you want to uh, live uh, and lead a healthier lifestyle. Obviously, a lot of content uh, that Antelope Hill has published, and we'll be talking with C.J., uh, throughout the rest of this hour uh, of uh, historical uh, nature, World War II era. There's no shortage of content there. Uh, Faith and Heritage. Now, that is an organization that I know well. Uh, their uh, Christian easing, uh, you have the Faith and Heritage, a Christian nationalist anthology. I'd written a couple of pieces for Faith and Heritage. It's now defunct, but uh, or, or no longer in operation, but you can still get the catalog. Antelope Hill has a selection from them. Spain, 1923 to 1948, Civil War and World War, Solzhenitsyn and the Right uh, by Spencer J. Quinn, who wrote a wonderful review uh, for the Honorable Cause, the book that we have out this year for Countercurrents. Oh, look, that's just a handful of selections that are available for purchase at antelopehillpublishing.com. But, CJ, you have listen, I we're coming up on a break, so we don't have much time to tease this, uh, but we'll talk about some of the translations that you have uh, uh, contributed to and provided there for Antelope Hill Publishing, including the Wormacht Fitness Manual. Now, this is provocative. Uh, but I am interested to learn more. It is the only existing English translation of the 1938 fitness manual for the German army containing 133 images from the original. How did you sink your teeth into that? How did you find that? How did you do that? Well, uh, hey, well hold on. Before you answer, before you answer, there's the music. We'll let people wonder for themselves how there that happened. And we'll get the answer when we come back. Because I say this, we need to be fit spiritually, mentally, and physically. And we'll talk about the latter with our guest this hour, C.J. Miller, the Canadian writer and translator, when we come back. Your daily Liberty Newswire. You're listening to Liberty News Radio. USA News. I'm Jerry Varmesh. Parts of the U.S. that have been baking under the summer heat are about to get some relief. Cooler temperatures are moving in with heat advisories expiring from New Jersey to Missouri. And in the southwest, Phoenix is finally getting a break. We're finally going to break that 110-degree streak, hopefully Monday. With a high of 109, chance of storms again. Meteorologist Paul Horton of Arizona's Family News says showers and storms are arriving on Sunday. Phoenix has been 110 degrees or hotter for more than four straight weeks. I'm Jeremy Scott. Cleanup efforts are underway after severe storms hit upper Midwest on Friday night. Tornado warnings were issued for parts of Iowa and Wisconsin with wind gusts of up to 100 miles per hour in some areas. Heavy rain and large hail were also reported, and more than 100,000 people lost power in the Milwaukee area. The Biden administration is asking the Supreme Court to reinstate regulations on so-called ghost guns. A federal judge in Texas recently put a pause on the new rules after several legal challenges 
challenges. The Justice Department is now urging the high court to put the ruling on pause as an appeal plays out. Congress is now on its August recess, meaning the fight over government funding is sidelined until mid-September. U.S. lawmakers left town Thursday after the House passed only one of a dozen appropriations bills, and none have cleared the Senate, so to avoid a government shutdown, House and Senate leaders will have to resolve some major differences still. Democratic Senate Majority Leader Chuck Schumer said at a news conference the House and Senate are worlds apart when it comes to the appropriations process. While Republican House Speaker Kevin McCarthy said he doesn't want to see a government shutdown, saying his focus will be on finding common ground. I'm Scott Carr. Police in Seattle are looking for suspects in a shooting that wounded five people at a community outreach event on Friday night. Two of the victims are in critical condition. This is USA News. Meet Joe A, Hi. Joe B, Hello. and Joe C. What's up? Three everyday Joes perfecting their banking with Chase. Joe A is locking his lost debit card with the Chase mobile app. Joe B is cruising toward his new ride with Autosave. And Joe C's Chase banker is helping him budget to go back to school. Tools that help protect. Support for what's next. One bank that puts you in control. Visit chase.com slash checking. Chase. Make more of what's yours. Chase Mobile App is available for select mobile devices. Messaging and data rates may apply. J.P. Morgan Chase Bank and a member of FDIC. Newsmax TV. Everyone is watching it now. President Trump says he loves it. And more than 30 million Americans tune into Newsmax TV. With great shows and analysts like Dick Morris, Rudy Giuliani, Michelle Malkin, Diamond and Silk, Mike Huckabee, Alan Dershowitz, and a lot more. Every night you can watch Newsmax's number one show, Greg Kelly Reports. Greg Kelly and Newsmax are unafraid to tell the truth about the election, how big tech is censoring you, and Joe Biden's dangerous plans. You. We're back now with uh, C.J. Miller of AntelopeHillPublishing.com. I was uh, taking probably too much time in the last uh, segment right before the break, uh, giving you a little bit of a variety of the content that you can purchase there at AntelopeHillPublishing.com. But uh, it was interesting. Uh, There was a movie that came out in uh, the 90s uh, called The Great White Hype, and it's a satire on professional boxing. And in the movie... You have uh, a black heavyweight champion played by, I believe, Damon Wayans. And the, pro- the promoters of the boxing match in the, in the movie want a white challenger. And they find this bum who hasn't boxed in years and years and years, but they promote him and they get him all the way up to the heavyweight championship uh, match. And his trainer in the movie is John Reese Davis, who you'll remember from movies like uh, Indiana Jones. He played Sala in the Indiana Jones movies. He played Gimli in the Lord of the Rings uh, trilogy. And uh, as he's training this white boxer, he says, uh, the, the guys, I'm not going to be you know, able to, to, to fight. You know, I haven't fought in forever. He says, eight weeks with me and you'll be ready for a commission in the Waffen SS. So this is this uh, you know, s- s- satire comedy, but everybody knows that the fighting forces of Germany in the middle of the last century, uh, were really second to none. And uh, as Socrates uh, said, no citizen 
has a right to be an amateur in the matter of physical training. What a disgrace it is for a man to grow old without ever seeing the beauty and strength of which his body is capable. As I said, even in comedies in the 90s, uh, people could recognize the fighting prowess of the German armed forces from 1921 to 1945. And you wrote uh, a translation of the fitness manual for the German army. CJ, how did that happen? Yeah, no, I can't take full credit for that. Um, that's the project I was mentioning before. Some some guy found, I guess, his grandfather's copy in the attic and wanted to preserve it for historical reasons. So I kind of helped along with that. I'd probably translate it maybe. Actually, I see that I'm not even credited on here because I uh, wasn't writing under my real name at the time. But uh, yeah, I'd probably translate maybe 40% of that. And it was a collaborative effort between several other translators, including myself. But that's something. So what are the content? I mean, 40%. I mean, take credit. However you're credited into the book, we'll give you the credit now. You're the one who did it, 40%. I remember back in the 60s, I had this thing about the Canadian Air Force physical education thing. This probably goes well beyond that. I'm really curious. Yeah, I mean, tell us a little bit about the contents. I mean, what was uh, sort of the, the, the physical regimen for somebody that was going to be in the Army in Germany in the middle uh, or early parts of the 20th century? So this is purely uh, the physical training, not as much military training. Uh, there's an emphasis on um, team sports, uh, as well as, of course, boxing and wrestling. And then uh, there's all sorts of uh, gymnastics exercises and stuff. Like, this is – it's good stuff. I mean, if you do this kind of routine, like, you'll get in shape, just like any other routine pretty much. But it's mostly interesting for historical reasons, I guess. And uh, – I, I don't, I'm not an expert on uh, physical training myself, but I've been told by my kinesiologist friend of mine that the stuff they were doing was way ahead of its time in terms of physical uh, fitness training. Uh, so I guess there's, uh, there's that takeaway from it as well. Well, if you want to train and be fit as the way that uh, someone entering into the German army in the early to mid 20th century might have trained, you can get the Wormach Fitness Manual translated by, in large part, by C.J. Miller at AntelopeHillPublishing.com. I think that's fascinating. I, I think it is very important that our people be fit, uh, our people, uh, as I said, mentally, phys physically, spiritually, be fit and be ready. Uh, for whatever may come. But that is hardly your only translation. Let's talk about Ancestral Inheritance, also available uh, through Antelope Hill. What is that about? Uh, that one is uh, basically the sort of spiritual and cultural heritage uh, and history and prehistory of the Germanic peoples. Um, it's written from sort of a folkish perspective and uh, kind of on the, I guess it has some kind of like esoteric Aryanist or pagan elements to it, which is also interesting. It's like a snapshot of uh, the kind of state of the scholarship uh, in a certain time and place. And that uh, too is available uh, tonight uh, at com and uh, you didn't stop there. Now, this is, uh, we're going to briefly mention a subject, uh, a book that hardly needs an introduction, but you actually translated the words. That, and here at TPC, we are all for you not taking the establishment's word on anything. Uh, if they lie about everything you know, perhaps they're lying about things that you're not uh, so uh, translation uh, well-known uh, 
you're not so informed about as well. You actually translated many of the speeches by a certain uh, political figure uh, who was formerly a painter in Austria. You translated a lot of his speeches that have been put into a book with uh, faithful translations. Uh, people can read that and make their own conclusions, but you translated it word for word without any sort of uh, notations or explanations or anything like that. We have a Bible. You can buy Bibles now that will explain away the Bible itself. And uh, But you didn't do any of that. You just faithfully translated the words from German to English, correct? Well, I did uh, do quite a bit of um, historical research. So preceding every speech, there's a, a background section talking about uh, the historical circumstances, what was going on uh, in Europe, in Germany, in the party at the time uh, around the speech. So kind of to give context. And then within the speech, I there are, um, uh, what, what do you call it, uh, citations, just kind of to explain and uh, give context to things that might be hard to understand or help the reader uh, understand context. But uh, the book is uh, definitely, um, it's a, a scholarly neutral historical work. It's not uh, pro NS nor anti NS. I wouldn't consider myself a national socialist personally. I just, it's more of a historical look, an objective historical look at a subject that is worth studying and worth being educated about not necessarily to emulate or to praise or to decry or disavow, but just to basically learn the lessons from a certain uh, historical figure in a certain historical period. No, I think that's an, a wonderful uh, and, 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 in fact, a profound explanation right there. People should have uh, the might and the worthiness to go in and read something for themselves and draw their own conclusions. And you've given the opportunity, uh, you've given them the opportunity to do that, as I, I, I was saying, that you, you can find the books that will actually explain away exactly what the text is saying in the exact opposite way it's in, intended, and you did not do that. That's what I was driving at a moment ago, Keith. I wanted to know, when you read it, did you get any sense of this special charisma that apparently this uh, Austrian painter had. Let's not be like it's Voldemort in uh, the Harry Potter. I mean, obviously <laughs> we're talking about Adolf Hitler, but, uh, and Warren Balog, by the way, uh, did the uh, audio, if I'm not mistaken, now correct me if I'm wrong, I believe Warren Balog, who was with us coincidentally, and it was just by sheer coincidence that you both be booked on the same night. I believe he did an audio uh, book uh, uh, version of this book, but uh, but in any in any event, I mean, you're talking about one of the most profound political figures in all of recorded history. Time, Time so, Magazine's Man of the Year in 1938. Exactly. I mean, one of the most profound uh, and impactful political figures, uh, whichever way you 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 view him, uh, it's undoubtable. Uh, uh, undoubtedly, he was that. Uh, but you, you have translated faithfully these words to the best of your ability, correct? What did, what did correct, you think CK? about it? Was he charismatic? Does that come through in his writings? Or did, was that just something with his speeches that you had to be there to listen I, to? I think definitely he was uh, charismatic, although the charisma, uh, it, it's not the same as a political speech that would be delivered, for example, in the United States today, like, if you just repeated his or kind of copied his style or repeated his speeches verbatim, I don't think it would be particularly appealing to uh, 21st century white Americans, but uh, for the sort of uh, like quasi autistic German mind of the time, it is appealing. And the way he spoke was uh, extremely popular. So you can't really deny his charisma within his own historical context. And the name of this book is in his own words. And this is uh, not only a collection, but a new and approved translation of some of the most important speeches 
uh, but also includes original research to provide historical context and information about the speeches themselves. So th that's what you did. And, and I, I was uh, uh, being a little bit, uh, I guess, facetious. You did it in a, in a way that is faithful to the original uh, content and context, as opposed to uh, a lot that you'll read today that sort of offers the exact opposite of what you're well, reading. Not, a, not as a proponent or an opponent, but just as a uh, unbiased third party. Well, that's what you want out of a translator, I, I, you know. Yeah. I think. And and again, uh, we give uh, people more credit than the establishment uh, does in so much as saying that uh, we believe you can read things and draw your own conclusions and uh, find your own truth. Uh, but the, but it, it is fascinating that uh, through Antelope Hill Publishing and through your work, CJ, that you could bring back to life uh, forgotten texts and translations uh, just the, in, a, in a just the facts type of presentation uh, that would not be available anywhere else. Uh, am I right about that? Yeah, there's other um, collections out there, uh, but uh, this one kind of really focused on lesser known speeches uh, and kind of like a broad overview of what the ideas that he was advocating actually were. So. You can go to Barnes and Noble and buy Mein Kampf right now, tonight, any Barnes and Noble in the country, and it'll be, you know, half the book is, you know, what you would expect about how, you know, evil he was. We'll be right back there, TPC family. This is James Edwards, your host of The Political Cesspool. Folks, I want you to subscribe to the American Free Press, America's last real newspaper. Against all odds, AFP has and continues to publish a populist, independent print newspaper with an unparalleled track record. Founded by a dedicated group of experienced patriots, AFP pulls no punches and tackles the most controversial and pressing issues facing America from an America First perspective. I've worked with the American Free Press since even before the beginning of TPC. Now that's something. You can subscribe to the print edition by visiting AmericanFreePress.net today or simply pick up a handy digital edition subscription. However you do it, subscribe to the American Free Press, America's last real newspaper, by visiting AmericanFreePress.net or by calling 1-88-699-NEWS, AmericanFreePress.net. This is a battle, a battle between truth and deceit. A battle between forces that would enslave this country in darkness and between a media that wants to present you with the truth. We are being censored. America's news outlets no longer provide the truth. 90% of news outlets in the United States are controlled by six corporations. The mission of the Epic Times is to chase the truth, to ground all statements in fact. TheEpicTimes.com. Looking for an IT partner that truly understands your needs? Managed IT Services is the answer. We meet with you regularly to discuss your goals and form a tailored technology plan. Our customers have called us a trusted advisor who delivers. When it comes to IT, we do it all. Firewalls, cloud storage, server migration, and more. Say goodbye to long-term contracts and hello to a team that earns your business month after month. Call 801-706-6980 now and let Managed IT Services transform your IT experience. All right, I got cut off uh, by the uh, break uh, right at the end of the last segment before I could uh, finish cultivating my thought. What I was saying was you can go to 
any Barnes and Noble store tonight, any mainstream establishment bookstore, and you can buy a copy of Mind Cop, and it's going to have, uh, as the preface, uh, untold pages of how evil this person was. I don't need you to tell me that. I don't need you because I what I know is this. What I know for a fact is this. You have lied about my southern ancestors. You have lied about George Floyd. You have lied about everything. I don't need you. I don't need anybody to tell me anything. Uh, I'll read for myself the facts and I'll make my own decision. And I believe that our audience is mature enough and intelligent enough to do that. And I'm thankful for people like C.J. Miller who give us faithful translations of text, even by uh, figures who have uh, been Our so maligned. Yeah, yeah a- absolutely. So we'll we'll figure it out for ourselves. Thank you very much. Uh, and so if Barnes and Noble can sell this, uh, then Antelope Hill can sell it as well. See, one of our groups that we uh, support here and have on the show are the Barnes Review, a great revisionist Wonderful. history uh, magazine. I don't know if you're familiar with them, CJ. Uh, but no, they're great and American Free Press and we're working in active cooperation with them. So I love all of that stuff. And yes, I understand. If you lie about everything, you probably didn't tell the truth, the whole truth and nothing but the truth about World War II. I don't know why that would be the exception uh, to everything else you've lied about. You're going to tell the truth about that. Anyway, give us the, the, the truthful translations and CJ has done that. Uh, but that is not all he has done. He has also been published by other groups like Countercurrents and the Occidental Observer, Greg uh, Johnson and Kevin McDonald, respectively. Uh, but you wrote an essay. I, I'm a movie buff. I'm a movie aficionado. I love going to the movies. I especially did it in the uh, my coming-of-age years in the 80s and, and 90s, and uh, I get there as much as I can now as the uh, husband and, and a father of three, but I watch a lot of movies. Uh, or at least have them playing in the background in my office while I'm working. Uh, but I do like movies. And one of the most interesting movies that have come out uh, that has come out in recent years is The Northman. Uh, and you wrote an essay on The Northman for Countercurrents. Uh, first of all, tell us, I mean, I'm going to ask you obviously what your findings were and what the uh, article was about for Countercurrents, but explain to the audience what The Northman was all about as a film. Uh, so The Northman is. Uh... Robert Eggers' uh, Viking film. Uh, I guess I could explain it as like uh, like a pagan psychedelic Viking reinterpretation of uh, Macbeth. So that's that's, 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 <laughs> that's a oh, wonderful sorry, yeah, Ham, not, not the other one, Hamlet. <laughs> I've never heard it put that way. That is a wonderful uh, a, a wonderful way to describe it. But continue on, please. Yeah, so uh, Hamlet itself was actually, uh, Shakespeare's Hamlet, that is, was actually inspired by uh, Saxo Grammaticus Amleth. Uh, Saxo Grammaticus was a Christian, I believe, monk or friar, something like that. Uh, and then uh, Shakespeare's Hamlet, I guess, needs no introduction. Uh, so that's a reinterpretation of Amleth. And uh, the Northman kind of has a lot of those same themes, uh, same characters, same basic story arc just moves to a sort of like Scandinavian uh, 10th century Viking setting. I, I went to see that with my uh, father and my brother, and it, it was a cinematic experiment. I mean, it was a masterpiece in many ways. I mean, it was a profound film, and uh, you could find the movie review or the essay on The Northman uh, at countercurrents.com. I believe you published that uh, 
CJ back in December of last year of uh, 2022. Uh, but also uh, an interesting article for Kevin McDonald's uh, easing, uh, The Occidental Observer, an essay on the different personality archetypes on the dissident right and how they correspond with opposing political tendencies. Uh, break that down for us. Uh, what, what was your findings? Uh, what were your found findings there? Uh, so that was, um, it came after kind of observing a lot of the discussion uh, among uh, the dissident sphere. Um, and a lot of the kind of questions and issues that sort of became wedge issues and splitting points for different factions and personalities to find some reason to disagree and uh, attack each other on. Um, and I noticed that a lot of the, it could kind of be broken down into basically two tendencies, which I called uh, for the sake of brevity, the uh, conservative and progressive uh, personality archetypes. And really it's not um, political conservatism or progressivism I'm talking about. It's more like a cluster of personality traits. So the essay is kind of, uh, first of all, introducing the archetypes, kind of uh, uh, reflecting on the characteristics that define them. And then I wanted to basically show how basically different personality types will gravitate towards certain positions, certain political leanings, and then that can be cause for friction uh, with the uh, opposing archetypes. So. I kind of wanted to not elevate one above the other. That was the last thing I intended, but basically show helping the different sides sort of understand each other maybe a bit better and uh, show how we don't all necessarily have to cooperate uh, or collaborate on every issue. But uh, if we're broadly moving towards the same goal, even if we disagree on particulars, we're broadly moving towards kind of a, the same value set more or less. So, basically how people can understand each other, stay in their own lane, collaborate when it makes sense, or basically stay out of each other's way and uh, quit with a bit of the backbiting that's sort of inherent to dissident movements uh, when it doesn't make sense to collaborate. CJ, this is Keith. Did you get any idea about, from the, the North movie or whatnot, about Norse culture generally and what it was like, or was this just you know, archetypes, kind of like a Njal saga or something like that, that, uh, you know, uses standard uh, stereotypes of the time? Or did you get any insights into Norse culture and particularly? Oh, the Norsemen, I, I, I have kind of a pre-existing interest in uh, Germanic spirituality, paganism. I consider myself uh, an Odinist. Um, so it's the most pagan movie I've ever seen. And uh, the essay on the Northman is about pagan morality and moral ambiguity in the film. Uh, so, yeah, it is, I think, uh, I don't want to say necessarily historically accurate, but it's extremely respectful of the subject matter to an extent that you just don't see really come out of Hollywood anymore. Or maybe it never even really did, but it's just um, the level of research, the detail, and the respect to the historical subject matter is just unparalleled, and that's what makes the movie a masterpiece. Have you ever seen the movie The Vikings with Kirk Douglas and Tony Curtis? Can't say I'm familiar. 
Yeah, I was just why I was wondering about a comparison on that because I, it sounds like if you haven't seen it, you can watch it on VHS at Keith's house, no problem. <laughs> but no, I mean, the, but the Northman wasn't just provocative. I mean, to get back to that, and I don't want to spend too much time on that, uh, but it was uh, provocative, not so much. Well, I mean, certainly, especially because of its content. But the cinematography as well, I mean, it was just wonderfully shot. It was wonderfully directed. I mean, the pictures are, are so stark. I mean, the settings, uh, everything about it was just... Uh, was it filmed on location? I don't know exactly where they filmed it. I mean, I didn't dive into it uh, that deeply, but uh, it certainly looked authentic. It was filmed in the North Atlantic. Not, uh, it wasn't filmed in Scandinavia, but in the North Atlantic. So, yeah, it's kind of filmed on location. The, the film is so, it's so good because, I mean... It, the one thing that jumped out to a lot of people about it was, of course, the all-white European casting. But the film itself yes. is so interesting that that's pretty much the least interesting aspect of it. Yeah, that's right. I mean, you don't see that a lot, certainly out of modern-day uh, movies. This is uh, something no, that... no Beyonce or Kim Kardashian in this movie. Yeah, they didn't have Glax playing uh, the uh, Viking kings and all of that, as you would expect now from... Uh, a modern Hollywood, and, and it wasn't just like a throwaway movie that was obscure and like a cult-like following. I mean, this was something that got you know serious uh, award consideration. So, uh, in any event, uh, C.J. Miller wrote about it, uh, uh, and you can find it. Uh, but uh, C.J., we are beginning to run out of time. I would remind everybody again to check out the catalog at antelopehillpublishing.com. You hear their ads every show once a month. We try to have one of the contributing authors, or in this case, author slash translator. Uh, for some of their uh, titles, and uh, uh, for the last hour, you have heard from C.J. Miller up in Canada, who has done uh, great work translating uh, text from German into English uh, and for publication at Antelope Hill Publishing. So, uh, final word to you, C.J., what is it? Uh, final word, I guess. Uh, have a good weekend. <laughs> we'll certainly do that. Can we keep, can we do that? Keith? Do you have any new projects? Yeah, that's a good question. That's a good question. That's a good place to leave it. What's next for CJ Miller? Uh, next is going to be, uh, there's a couple uh, old unfinished manuscripts. Well, finished, but uh, not published yet. Manuscripts that I'm working on getting published. One of them, the treatment, uh, kind of a, a departure from my previous work, not political really in any way. It's more of a, like a young adults uh, romance. And then another, Prairie Noir, set right here at home in Alberta, detailing a blood feud, a decades-long blood feud between two uh, rural Alberta families, one rich, one poor. Uh, so that's going to be uh, and McCoys. an action book. Sorry? I said the Canadian Hatfields and McCoys, or is it? <laughs> Something like that. So this is, yeah, it's a work of imagination, so it's not based on anything historical, but it'll have everything from... Uh, you know, like prison gangs to ATV chases to Hutterites to love affairs to crooked preachers and, you know, all sorts of things. So it's going to be a really good kind of like gothic noir uh, action novel. Not really political either. Well, we hope that we will find that published by Antelope Hill as well. And uh, I'm already getting dizzy, folks, looking ahead to... Uh, the calendar in August will have our Charlottesville six-year retrospective for the people who were on the ground. And I'm talking about not just people in the ground, but uh, people who organized it, people who were there. As they reflect on the legacy of Charlottesville next week. Uh, and then the week after that will be a live remote broadcast. I've, I've got Renaissance. a question I'd like to ask him. And uh, we'll go on the road to Alabama. Yeah. Keith, you got 10 seconds. Go. Okay. What do you think about Ben Johnson, the mad 
Trapper, you know, that they had that Death Hunt movie about. That was set up in your neck of the woods. All right. It was filmed in Alberta, eh? Was it? Well, it was about the guy that, uh, you know, uh, they had Albert Johnson. Right. And he, he's a re- time. He's a reason. I can't give he's it to a, you, Keith. I can't give you more he, time than we He's the got. reason that they say the Canadian Mounties always get their man. Okay. For Warren Baylog, Carson Kilgray, C.J. Miller, for Keith Alexander, our entire staff and crew here at TPC, I'm James Edwards. C.J., thank you so much. AntelopeHillPublishing.com. Check them out. Buy a book. They got something for everybody there. We'll talk to you next week during TPC's awesome August. CJ, thanks again. Good night, everybody.